my personal belief is that hormone balance is a key to longevity. I do think it will help you live a more productive, longer life personally. And I think the same goes for men. How many times have you seen a woman who is 70 or 60 who just looks 20 years older and I think hormone deprivation has something to do with that in a lot of females, as does life choices, as you mentioned, you know, smoking and not eating right and drinking and things like that. But I don't think 100% should it be 100%? No. Welcome back to the Essential You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Are you ready for some real talk about how to navigate your hormones in the modern medical system? Because today I'm talking to my dear friend, Dr. Sean Tasson, about a topic that we both love, which is hormone balance as a key to aging with grace and longevity. Now, perimenopause and menopause has been painted as dirty words in our modern culture and in some instances considered a condition that we need to treat. But perimenopause and menopause are neither of these things, and that's what we talk a lot about here on the podcast. Each day, Dr. Sean Tasson supports women who are struggling with hormonal imbalance, and he takes an integrative approach, which is why we need this practitioner's message. In today's conversation, we deep dive into the most common issues women are facing in their 40s, 50s, and beyond, and we set them up for success by focusing on individual needs and hormone profiles. We will also be talking about hormone labs and hormone levels in some detail during this episode because it's important for you to know when to get tested and what to be looking out for when you actually do get tested by your doctor. As you will hear in our conversation, some tests are better than others for checking certain levels, some hormones fluctuate on a daily basis, so it's important to look at those levels multiple times within a day. In actuality, you may need more than one test to get a comprehensive look at your current hormone levels and your current situation depending on what you're going through. And although the medical community has developed what is accepted as a normal range, that doesn't necessarily take into account your unique history, your genetic makeup, all the things that are going on with your body. What is normal on paper may not be normal for you. Now, if you fall close to either the bottom or the top of the range of any level, there may be an underlying issue. In addition, some hormones are dependent on others. For example, a low normal in one area with an abnormal level in another may indicate the precursor of of some developing issue. So be sure to discuss these results with a respected healthcare provider who will take deep consideration into your entire health history along with those additional test results. In case you want to understand more about hormone levels, especially if you're getting your hormones tested, I spent a little bit of time, almost a month, creating a hormone lab testing cheat sheet for you to use as a reference. I know it can be so confusing trying to navigate the medical system, figuring out what you've been tested, whether you're in normal range, if those normals are true normals, and if you've got a great reference guide like this guide right here, it just helps a lot more in trying to decipher what is going on with your body. So this is the perfect cheat sheet for hormone lab numbers, and I even go into other labs that are super critical and important to your overall health and well-being. 
Now, if that kind of reference guide sounds like something you'd love to get your hands on, you can grab it in the show notes. Just go to drmarisa.com slash hormone testing. Or again, you can go to the show notes and it'll be there as well. So now that you're set up with this incredible resource, which I am so proud that I created for you, I mean, I just love that it goes into such great detail and gives you the full spectrum of what's going on in your body. I want to take a moment and celebrate you. Every single day, I am blessed to hear that new listeners were recommended by you. One such listener is Eve from Fort Wayne, Indiana. She reached out to me on Instagram. Here's what Eve had to say. Earlier this summer, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, a condition I probably had for a long time. And after going to my doctors, I wanted to look for more resources that I could rely on for getting my body back into remission. And I found you an Angie Alt's episode, and I was blown away by all the ways that I could actually heal my body and guarantee that I would get into remission. Now, I know you have other podcast episodes too on the subject, and I'm excited to dive into those as well. Well, thank you so much for your win, Eve. I am so happy to shout you out today, and thank you so much for sharing your win on your autoimmune journey. I am a kindred sister on that journey with you. I know what that feels like. And to get into remission is just such such a wonderful thing to be able to do because you know your body's back on that healing journey. You are absolutely right. We do have several episodes on beating autoimmunity. So I hope you enjoy them as well. Now, if you are listening, Eve, I would love to gift you a signed copy of my EO Hormone Solution book with a little personal note from me. All you got to do is reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Marisa, and I will get it sent off to you ASAP. Now, if you are listening, one, welcome to the show. This podcast is all about empowerment. And if there are any episodes, anything that you've gleaned or you've taken away that has been a big win for you, I would be honored to shout you out. That way, I can not only share your win, but it opens the door for more women who are ready to get started on this beautiful healing journey. Now, you can do the shout out on Instagram, Facebook. You can do a little snapshot and share it on IG stories, whatever works best for you. Or the best place to do it is on iTunes. Leave a review there. Let us know what you're thinking and so that I can open the door for more people to get this incredible information. Like what Sean is about to drop today is profound because it it takes you into the modern medical system. It takes you into allopathic medicine and he really uncovers a lot of what's going on there. So let's jump on into this amazing conversation with Dr. Sean Tesson. But before I bring him on, I want to sing his praises. Dr. Sean Tesson is a board certified OBGYN by the American Board of Integrative Medicine. He holds a medical degree in addition to a PhD in mind-body medicine. In the last 20 years of practice, he has seen over 40,000 women and is a highly regarded patient advocate. As an integrative health practitioner, he also believes that you should be the CEO of your health, which I love. He is a HarperCollins author, and his work indicates studies and publications on spirituality and medical care, whole foods to heal the body, and an integrative approach. Let's bring Dr. Sean Tesson onto the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Sean Tesson. How are you doing today? I'm good. 
Happy Thanksgiving, or almost. Happy Thanksgiving. This has been a long time coming. We've been talking about this, and I've been on. We've been. We've done a lot of things together. We've we've collaborated together. You are one of my dearest friends. I love the work that you do in the world. And yay, we're having this conversation today. I'm so. It's probably my favorite thing that I get to do today. Well, we'll blame it all on Alex if it didn't work. If it doesn't work, we'll blame it on, yep, we'll blame it on Alex for sure. Well, I want to start because I'm going to be talking you up in just a moment, but I want to hear a little bit about what was the, what was the desire to work with women as an OBGYN? Well, I think, uh, you know, that's a good question and I get asked that a lot, probably more so being a, a male. I think it's a lot of it, you know, initially, and it's weird how things work out, but the simple thing is, you know, you go through medical school and you go through all the rotations and you kind of decide what you like. And initially I had signed up to do internal medicine, but I did OB and then I took an ultrasound rotation and I really liked the, I liked the other doctors that were in OB. They were fun. They were good people. And then it was kind of a happy profession. You know, there isn't a lot of people dying and it's a, it's happy. And, and then, you know, interestingly enough, fast forward about five years, my mom gets diagnosed with ovarian cancer when I'm an OBGYN resident. So it kind of, I don't know if it was fate or if it was the the universe or whatever, but me being in that field kind of helped her. She eventually passed away from that, but it did kind of help a little bit with me understanding, conveying things to her. And, you know, it worked out for the best, but, and then kind of fast forward 15, 20 years, and now I'm taking out these e-sure coils and working on behalf of women's advocacy around the world, really helping with hormones. And it's really kind of, I don't know, it's kind of matured as my journey's matured. Hmm, I love that. And I absolutely agree. There are definitely lots of happy parts and times. I know that it's the evolution of being an OBGYN or even the evolution of understanding what's going on with women's hormone health has changed so much. What have you seen in that change? Like, I, I feel like we have more awareness we're recognizing that there's more implications, more root causes that are driving hormonal issues. Can you speak on that? Because you are very much an advocate in this area. I know that. And I'm so grateful to you for that. Thanks. Well, you know, 15 years ago, when I started prescribing bioidentical hormones, it was literally voodoo. And it was, even in gynecology, you were a pariah if you were prescribing bioidentical hormones. I can remember being in the doctor's lounge and uh, in between surgery cases and hearing people talk about this doctor that was prescribing these stupid bioidentical hormones. And now everybody's kind of doing it. So it was kind of one of those things, I think, initially that I just, uh, the idea, it sounds right. You know, I just, I was talking to a pharmaceutical rep that at the time worked for Wyeth Therist, and that was who made Premarin. And you can't, a drug can't go generic unless the company can disclose what exactly is in it. And if you notice, Premarin never went generic because there are so many things in Premarin. I think the ingredient list was like 35 and they and then there were unknown things. So they couldn't really ever go generic because they couldn't list all of the things that were in it. And that kind of blew my mind at the time. I was like, well, we have this one product that has 35 ingredients and yet we have just estradiol. So why don't we just use estradiol? And, and it just made more sense. And so it kind of started with a little, and, and at the time I was scared, you know, I was scared I was going to get my license revoked and that was kind of that type of witchcraft. So 
now fast forward, you know, 40,000 patients later, and it kind of like, you know, now there's hormones on, on every uh, corner. On Amazon. <laughs> the advocacy now that I try to promote is, you know, doing it the right way and trying to make it so that you are getting taken care of. In, you know, my colleagues, unfortunately, are still 15 years ago. So that'll hopefully change as we progress. But right now it's still, you know, they're, they're just not doing it. Well, and I'm so happy we're having this conversation. I know so many women go into the offices hoping for something like they come in with a cluster of symptoms and, and I know the prescription pad gets pulled out, they're put on hormone replacement and, and maybe they even feel good for a tiny bit of time. But then ultimately we know that there's other things driving that and curious to see like, what are some of the things, you know, when you know you take care of so many incredible women, what are some of the biggest concerns that women are coming in? for you? Like, what are the, the, the clusters of issues that you're seeing that you begin to see, oh, this isn't just a hormone fix. Like, we got to go even deeper. We got to look at this at a deeper level. The number one thing now, and it's kind of like come over the last six months, it's literally hair loss, hair thinning, hair loss. I mean, rampant. Like, if I have 20 patients today, 10 of them have issues with hair. I used to think that estrogen dominance was going to be probably the biggest thing that I was going to talk to women about just because, you know, you see it everywhere with PCOS and obesity and, and other things, you know, all the, the plastics and things in our society. But really what I have found is that testosterone deficiency is probably the biggest thing across the age spectrum. I mean, it's like young girls, probably because of birth control pills, you've got 30 and 40 year olds because women like you are working and they're busting their butts and they're running businesses and they've got three kids under the age of seven and they're, they're just fried. And then, you know, their, their husbands want them to have sex. And I call testosterone deficiency, the plague of the 21st century, because it's really pretty rampant. And then down the line, you do have the symptoms of like estrogen dominance where you have weight gain and but progesterone, insomnia is huge. I hear that all the time. So tons of things that I'm sure you probably hear the same from women all the time because it's the, it's the same women that are, we deal with the same things. Absolutely. I mean, we absolutely we see the same women where they're dealing with the same things. Hair loss is definitely coming up more and more and more. But yeah, low testosterone deficiency is, is huge across the board as well. Can you speak to, you know, clearly stress is a big one. Clearly toxins are also a big one here as well. For low testosterone. Uh, what else could be a big driver for this? Is it thyroid that's playing a role here? Is it liver? Maybe it's gut issues? Hair loss is, it's really a stressful, it's not just caused by stress, but then it causes stress because, you know, I'd see somebody like you who's got like more hair than like seven of me will come in and say, oh, I'm losing my hair. And I'm looking at her going, really? I, I don't see it. But to her, it's stressful because she's feeling it come out in her hands. And, and yet I look at her and think it looks okay. So it's, it's really somewhat subjective. And I don't usually see women that are like losing it in big patches. It's, it's more of a visual that they have. But it's, it is stress. It's genetics to a certain degree. But hormonally, what I see is it's usually, you know, what's interesting is that progesterone really, when women are pregnant, they, they have great hair and it's because their progesterone levels really uh, stop the hair in what's called the telogen phase, which is right before it falls out. So hair growth cycles kind of slow down. So you maintain all this great hair. And then after you deliver your baby, uh, you'll be taking showers and you hear it all the time. My hair is, my drain is full of, of hair. And it's because the progesterone levels drop. The hair that was going to come out over the last few months is now coming out in droves. 
So definitely hormone imbalances play a role in that. We know that women that have issues with too much testosterone or that convert testosterone into dihydrotestosterone will actually have some hair loss. That's usually more of a male pattern kind of issue where they'll lose kind of right up here. here that yeah. you can see where I have a little, although I am told that I have gray hair. So you do have gray hair. Can we just say that? that? Yeah. I've got that gray and great. So gray I do and great. So it's, it lends to the credibility. I'm telling you, and the beard that makes me look older. So it's hormone imbalance for sure. Obviously hair is a part of skin. So I think women that, that aren't getting enough fats, you know, good fats, supplementing with a, a decent essential fatty acid supplement, or just making sure you're getting good oxygenation to your hair. It's in general, just, but those are the main things. How about also, I didn't know if low thyroid played a big role here. Low thyroid's huge. And even subclinical hypothyroidism, which is, so this is the big thing right now. We call it subclinical hypothyroidism, which means you clinically, you don't have a diagnosis in the sense that the labs actually say it's abnormal. And I always tell patients, look, abnormal or normal isn't always normal. When you have a, a free T3 range of 2.3 to 4.4 and you're at 2.4, but you have a lot of symptoms of hypothyroidism, like you're, you're sluggish, you're, you're cold all the time, you've gained some weight, your hair is thinning. You're hypothyroid. If it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it doesn't care what the hell the, the, the labs say because the normals may be off or the, the interpretation of it may be off. Well, it's not normal for you. Apparently. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're in the 10th percentile or the fifth percentile. Maybe you'd feel better in the 80th percentile. It's still normal, but I can't tell you how much better women feel when they're up there. I think that's a lot of it. Yeah. It's just these interpretations. Doctors will look at the labs and they'll go, and this is what with any hormone, they'll say, oh, you're normal. And she'll go to three doctors and it's like, I don't feel normal. And so then, then it's not normal. And I can tell you, if a man went into a doctor and said, I don't feel right, I'm tired all the time, I'm, I'm in the afternoon, I'm taking a nap on my desk, and his testosterone is 300 and, and normal is 300, they'd say, oh man, you need some testosterone. We wouldn't just say, oh, buddy, you're just getting older. You wouldn't say that to a guy, but we say it to women all the time. I know. Oh, my goodness. And it's, it's the, yeah, the doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor. And we're seeing so much of that subclinical hypothyroid in so many women. And yeah, exhibiting. I mean, I lost, I know I lost half a third of my eyebrows before we even, I was like, my eyebrows are gone and everything still looked normal. And, you know, exactly those, that, those signs and symptoms. I know that right now, so women who are losing hair, women with, with low, significantly low testosterone, what are, and you talked about what the things are, what are things that you're finding that women are going to other doctors and are being missed? Like, what are the things that you're like, oh, I know immediately what's happening here? Estrogen progesterone imbalance in the sense that estrogen is, so if you look at estrogen, it could be as high as three or 500 at a certain point of the cycle. And progesterone could be 0.5, and they're told that it's normal. I like to see estrogen and progesterone at a, like a 10 to 1 ratio. And these are the women that are going around that are choking people out, or they're yelling at their kids for stuff that maybe wouldn't have bothered them before. And it's because the estrogen is very stimulating. And then you have the second half of your cycle where the progesterone comes in and kind of mellows everything out. And if you don't have that, and you're constantly being overstimulated by this estrogenic aspect, and you don't have the GABA with the progesterone that comes in and calms everything down, eventually you're just going to feel out of your mind. And then the progesterone helps you sleep. And if you're not sleeping well, then your cortisol goes up. And that's the other thing is, and, and I'm not going to claim to be a cortisol expert because I've just really gotten into that in the last couple of years. 
but we don't ever look at cortisol in allopathic medicine. I mean, you guys have a naturopathy for a long time, but for us, it's really like we think of normal cortisol or Addison's disease. It's like there is no in There's between. no in between. There's no, there's no pathway deregulation in between. You either have a deadly disease or you're fine. Right. Autoimmunity or it's all good. Yeah. And it's just stupid because I can't tell you, I had a lady in the other day who's like, I think she's 37. She's a pharmaceutical rep. So she drives like 200 miles a day. She eats crappy food. She's got three kids under the age of seven. So she's running ragged. And she comes in and, and we, we do a Dutch and her cortisol is like literally hugging the bottom the entire day. So I put her on just some adrenal cortex bovine fractions. And she called me like three days later and said, I haven't felt like a normal person in three years. And, and this is an over-the-counter kind of supplement. And she felt like a million bucks. And it's just because she had gone through that workaholic phase where her cortisol was probably through the roof. And now she's just like in that saboteur phase where she's, she's running. Not, I always tell them, you know, you're not burning the candle at both ends. You, you burned it with a blowtorch and, and there's nothing left, but you're still going you're st- and, and you just don't have anything to give. And so we don't look at cortisol at all. And I think it's because we're afraid of it for some reason, because we don't know what to do. It's a big hormone. Yeah, it's huge. It's humongous. It's a big hormone. It's, it's, you know, when you're talking about you know, when you're looking at that deregulation of progesterone and estrogen, there's so many other influential factors and cortisol being one of those big influential factors that are playing a role in it. And I think in, you know, and you could speak more into allopathic medicine than I can, but we just kind of want to put a stamp on it, put a label on it, give somebody something, but we recognize you and I both recognize it's so interconnected one way or the other. I always say, if you, if you got a thyroid issue, you've got a cortisol issue. It's just a guarantee. If you have a cortisol issue, you probably have an estrogen issue. I mean, yes. And an insulin issue. Yeah. And you, you're overweight and then you, your estrogen goes up. It's like, I, you know, people use that analogy all the time of a symphony. I kind of look at it more like if you take the face off of a real expensive watch and you have all those gears in different sizes, if those gears aren't moving at their own speeds, but they're all depending on the other gears, it's not going to tell the right time. And, you know, it doesn't matter necessarily how small the gear is, it still can throw everything off. So the problem with what we do in allopathic medicine, one, we don't look at the thyroid the right way. We'll we'll draw TSH. I mean, that's literally what everybody does. We're we're drawing the pituitary hormone. Yes. We're not even drawing the right (laughs) hormone. I can't tell you how many women I see that have a TSH. I don't even tell, honestly, I just look at free T3 and free T4 and then peroxidase antibodies and stuff like that anymore. But we don't even we don't even look at cortisol. I mean, literally don't even look at it. And and I think that really that's the big disservice right now. And the other thing is we look at hormones. We'll look at testosterone. But what's funny is that in the Quest, which is the labs that I use, it's 0.1 to 6.4 is a normal testosterone. Now, I don't know how a 0.1, which is almost zero, can be normal. But you could multiply 0.164 fold and it would still be normal. A woman will come in and her doctor will say, your testosterone's 0.8, you're fine. Well, yeah, you could multiply that six, seven, eight fold almost and it would still be normal. But we don't look at things that way. We look at them as binary, normal, abnormal. There's no zone in between. We do the same thing with cortisol. It's like normal or abnormal. Absolutely. So it's a lot to need, need to change. 
I want to focus a little bit on perimenopause and menopause. I find that most doctors don't know the difference between the two. And I'd love to spend a little bit of time because I know a lot of women don't know the difference between the two, mainly because a lot of menopause symptoms can even start to come into play during perimenopause. It's a very gradual process. When you're working with women in either stage, whether it's perimenopause or in their menopause or beyond menopause, what are some of the biggest areas that you like to focus with women? Where do you want to steer them? I will make a joke here that perimenopause is easily treated with birth control pills, right? It's like, that's what everybody does. It's the worst. It breaks. You know, my times I meet women who are still on birth control at like 55. Yeah. I had a 53 year old today that was on them. And it's like, oh, I feel fine. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure. But you don't, you're getting like seven times the estrogen that you need. Perimenopause is super difficult because women are up and down. It's like the car is running out of gas, but not quite yet. And that's where you have to spend a lot of time because it takes a lot of sometimes dialing things in to really get a woman where she wants to be. And then it could change six months down the road. So they do need a little bit more attention. And the problem is, you know, doc, I, I take insurance and it's difficult sometimes to uh, spend a 15 minute visit and really get deep with somebody. So it's, and thus, because of that, harder means, more time means I'm not going to deal with it. That's why they put you on a birth control pill. Whereas menopause, if it's truly menopause and everybody's down at zero, it's easy to fix that per se, even if they were to use like a, a bioidentical patch or something. The problem is most women that I'm seeing uh, that are menopausal, they'll get put on estrogen. They won't get put on testosterone because testosterone, I guess, isn't necessary in a woman. At least that's what most doctors think. Well, definitely after menopause, it's not. Yeah. Or the other thing is if they don't have a uterus, they don't get put on progesterone. So they're estrogen dominant, you know, and it's like, and they still feel like garbage. So it's really hard. And I want to spend a little time on hysterectomy as well and, and talk a little bit about women being thrown into menopause way earlier than they that they anticipated. So often women, I can't tell you how many times women come to me with a complete hysterectomy and don't even know if they're in menopause still. And I don't understand how that wasn't conveyed to them, especially if indeed you're put into menopause way earlier, your body wasn't ready for that. And what you're trying, what you're telling me is that they're only so often, if they're being treated with hormones, especially before they should have been in menopause, they're only really being given estrogen. Is yeah, that right? Most of the time. Most of the time. Uh, because allopathic doctor, you know, the reason that we don't get progesterone routinely is because progesterone is thought to only protect against uterine cancer, right? So if you don't have a uterus, then you don't need the progesterone. What what we don't think about is that it's all it's the other receptor right? sites. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a balance. And we know that progesterone is calming to the brain. It's, you know, it's good for headaches. It, it, it's a diuretic. It does all kinds of great things. The other thing is we just don't routinely think of testosterone as a, a female hormone. A female hormone. A, a yeah. male hormone. And, and I can't tell you how many women that I see that are low testosterone. I mean, it's rampant. And we know that sex drive isn't just solely testosterone. But the way I look at it is if you don't want to have sex, it's because it's the, it's the end of the day and you have absolutely no energy. I always joke with my patients, if you had to make a list today of the 10 things that you had to do, would sex be on the list? And I will guarantee you not one of them in 20 years has said it's on the top. No, 10. but for guys, it is. We can ask Alex. Is it's it in the top three? Top three. <laughs> yep. And so that makes a mismatch. I always say I can jack your testosterone up to the level of your husband's. It might make you want to rip his face off, but you may not want to have sex with him still. 
So do women come in thinking that they need more testosterone because they don't have a sex drive? Yeah. And that's usually driven by their, their partners. Men have a really good way of making y'all feel like the issue is yours. And if I have a guy that comes in, I'll, I joke around. I was like, rule number one, and I'm divorced, so I'm not an expert, but rule number one is that she doesn't want to have sex with a jerk. Okay. Rule number two is that instead of going up to her, and I'm, this is probably a, a dunks maneuver, but go up to her in the kitchen and start kissing on her neck and maybe grabbing her butt. Instead of doing that, do the dishes, right? I mean, take care of her. And like I said, I, I will profess that I am single for probably a reason, but um, it works. And if you take care of your partner and just let her know that she is supported, that may make her sex drive go up. But telling her that she's got low testosterone, like, oh, there must be something wrong with you. Because for men, that's true. Men with a low testosterone level may have a decreased sex drive because it, it's just a different hormone for us. So it's one of those things where for women, it's, it's important for energy. It's important for feeling good about yourself and for just kind of an overall, I call it the chutzpah, it just makes you feel good, but it may not make you want sex. Mm-hmm, got it. It's, it's a part of that balance. I understand that perimenopause is definitely far more complicated because our bodies are very much shifting and, and that the big lesson too here is that no estrogen without progesterone, that these two are a, made a, a match made in heaven. They're a match made to balance and you can't just put women on one without the other. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. I want to talk a little bit about menopause. You know, I'm writing a menopause book right now. We've talked about that in a big part of the conversation. A lot of women are so confused about whether they need bioidenticals, whether they need hormones, if they're feeling okay, everyone's telling them should or they shouldn't. And it's so confusing. Are there instances where women don't need hormones after menopause? Because I I have to believe that God or whoever made this decision that they were going to throw us into menopause at 50 years old, that we didn't always necessarily need to supplement up with hormones that we weren't necessarily making anymore. Well, my grandmother was 94 when she died and she was just always mean. So I don't know when she went through menopause, but she didn't use hormones. I have this theory and the theory is this. We didn't used to live this long. We, we used to die when we were in our forties, probably 300 years ago. So menopause wasn't a huge ordeal back then. Because we didn't have it. Right. We never, we never, you, you had babies and then at 40 something you died. Yeah. Problem is we live longer and we've, we've accelerated our lifespan so quickly that evolution hasn't really had a chance to catch up yet. I do think that in a few hundred years, menopause might be 70. I think the body will eventually catch up and do what it needs to do. But right now we're in this like gray zone of evolution for females where the body just is just pooping out. The ovaries are pooping out. And so I think do what women don't need it. I kind of look at hormone replacement primarily as a quality of life thing, primarily. The secondarily for women, estrogen and testosterone are really great for bone density. So if you if you aren't on hormone replacement and you're menopausal, bone density scan every couple of years. If you start getting osteopenic, you might want to think about going on something. But we also know that the lipid panel will shift in menopausal women. If they're not on estrogen, it will shift so that your high-density lipoproteins go down, your LDLs go up, and rates of heart disease go up in females. They actually switch to the same level as a man's, and it's because of the protection from estrogen. So in those two instances, 
I think it's helpful. I also think for women that have a strong family history of possibly Alzheimer's or dementia, it's something say the to, neuroprotective it's element. something to consider estrogen for sure, progesterone for sure. But is it necessary? I think what happened was 10 years ago, 12 years ago, women got the bejeebers scared out of them by the Women's Health Initiative. And everybody went off their hormones because they were all afraid they were going to get breast cancer. And I'm doing a an episode with Alan Christensen on the myth that estrogen causes breast cancer, because if it did, every woman would get breast cancer, right? I mean, there are certain breast cancers where estrogen receptors can be stimulated and it can make the cancer grow faster. But is it a cause of cancer? I mean, probably not. And estrogen levels decrease the risks of colon cancer by 50%. So there's definitely protective mechanisms there as well. Hmm. I was just curious, you know, there's so much debate around, should I, should I not? And I think it's really just listening to the body. My core concern is the neuroprotective aspects of these hormones and the cardiovascular aspects of these hormones. I wonder if we are living our fully, you know, inflammation-free life, would, would that be a big factor as well? And, and if women are super, super, super healthy and their bodies are super high functioning, you know, if, you, if you're 61 and look like Madonna, we, my mom and I just went to see Madonna um, and she was doing cartwheels and stuff. Like I was just you like, know, Madonna's well, on some hormones. Yeah, Madonna's definitely on hormones. There's she no gotta be. about that. I would go out with Madonna. I'm just saying, if she called me. I'm oh my related. goodness. I could not, be, I'm like, is that Madonna? Like, or JLo. JLo would be my first choice. <laughs> I wonder if JLo's on hormones. I don't know. She is 50. JLo is 50. But I wonder you know, if women are able to take care of themselves, like set themselves up for six. I know some women are coming into perimenopause and menopause, and maybe they haven't made the best life choices. And they're really feeling the repercussions of that combination of life choices coming in and hormones deregulating or, or, or going all over the place. I feel like that is the, the perfect brew of things just going wrong in, inside of the system. And so I really appreciate kind of your stance on that and wondering where you stand in trying to do the research and discover like, where is my stance on it as well? Whether women need hormones a hundred percent or not after you know 51 years old. I would say no. Do they need them? No. I do think it's an adjunct that will potentially, I believe I person, my personal belief is that hormone balance is a key to longevity. I do think it will help you live a more productive, longer life personally. And I think the same goes for men. How many times have you seen a woman who is 70 or 60, who just looks 20 years older. And I think hormone deprivation has something to do with that in a lot of females, as does life choices, as you mentioned, you know, smoking and not eating right and drinking and things like that. But I don't think 100%, should it be 100%? No. I've talked to many women on the phone. I've told them what their hormone imbalance is, and they would rather try something like maca or trying to change their diet. Nothing's going to give you the same bang for your buck as a hormone would, but you, you know, essential oils are big, obviously. There's so many other things you can try to live your life better than just taking a hormone. But I do think it's, I personally think it's essential for a, a healthy, productive lifestyle. Good to know. Good to know. Are there other things that we should be considering in this journey around perimenopause and menopause, things that you have found to be great needle movers, you know, in terms of nutrition, in terms of lifestyle, in terms of mindset? Like, are, are you finding that women are redefining what this looks like, even compared to what your mom may have thought? I know definitely my mom and my grand, my mom, my mom, you know, I went out with her. She's in her Spanx. She's in her high heels. She's got her lashes on. She's got her long old 
dark hair on. She's got her lips. My mom, you know, I'm like, this is my mom. This is, you know, very different than what my grandma looked like. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I will say it on the air. She does look good. Yeah. She's doing big things. So like, clearly we're changing the way that we think about midlife or we're changing the way that women feel 50 and beyond. I think that, you know, needle movers, I'm writing a book as well. And part of my treatment plan for hormone imbalances is six kind of things that you can bring together. One being a spiritual practice. I think whether, you know, and and for some people that has a weird connotation to it, but I think yoga, meditation, for some women, I I, journaling or walking, uh, something that's going to be personal care oriented, Mm -hmm. massage, things like that. Obviously, that's one piece. Hormones themselves are one piece if you want to take the rocket ship, which is much faster. Something that I call infaceutical, meaning like informative to the body would be acupuncture or essential oils or Reiki and that we have some emerging data that's coming out. I think essential oils are leading the pack right now. Nutrition is obviously key. One thing that I'm really big into now, and you've probably already interviewed her, but Stephanie Estima, Dr. Stephanie, we've interviewed her and the whole intermittent fasting thing I think is amazing. I think it's helping so many women, especially those with like PCOS. I am a believer in a ketogenic type diet if it's something that you can do. I think it helps balance hormones. I think that exercise is critical, obviously moving your butt, whether, and actually for some women, I recommend they don't exercise, especially those with like a low cortisol, because it might be that you're, you know, you're already at zero. So, you know, we got to just relax a little bit and I'll recommend maybe a, a low low impacts walking or something. And then finally, uh, proper supplementation if it's necessary. You know, I mean, you know, I'm big on maca, fish oil, or flaxseed oil and magnesium, kind of my big three that I go to a lot. But those six things together, pick and choose or, or find the one that maybe you're struggling with and try to incorporate that into your day. I think that's also helpful. Yeah. Just figuring out what's going to work best for you. I love the supplement recommendations, you know, just figuring out what those core nutrient deficiencies may be that women are struggling with, I think are so important. Anything you want to leave us with before I ask you where we can find you anything, anything left? Cause this can feel so hard for so many women. I think that the main thing is, and, and this is where advocacy is big is If you don't feel normal, if you don't feel good for you, you know something is off and how, you know, women know their own bodies, just like men do. Don't be minimized by the system and don't be told that everything is fine if you don't think it's fine. Chances are, and I would say 90 plus percent, that something is out of balance. You're just not seeing the right provider. And whether that provider would be a naturopath, a doctor, uh, an allopathic doctor, a chiropractic physician, whoever you can find, find that provider. You will find somebody if you're persistent enough. So I always say normal isn't always normal and you have to sometimes advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. Or even common isn't normal at all. And so often we've been put into the category of common. I love that. I love that, that continuing to persist, continuing to listen to your body. You know it better than anyone else. Dr. Shantasone, where can we find you? I am on Instagram at Sean Tassone, MD. My last name is T-A-S-S-O-N-E. Tassone, MD is my website. I actually have a hormone quiz on there that has one of 12 hormone archetype imbalances if you're curious about you know, what you might have. And then basically Facebook, I'm on Facebook as well, but I'm really, I put a lot of my stuff out on Instagram and 
I'm trying to get into Insta stories like you are and Nat, and she's been bugging me to do more Insta stories. It's amazing to me how if I post a picture on an Insta story of me having a cup of coffee, how much more traction that will get than me actually saying something intelligent. We so, want to know what you're drinking, Sean. I'm we want to. <laughs> Is there maca in there? What's in that coffee? Like, um, and we're referring to Dr. Nat Krigungis, who we've had on the podcast as well. They are a dynamic duo. And you're going to have the, I can get the link for the quiz that we can put in. I know people are going to want to know their archetype. It's tessonmd.com backslash quiz. I'll go grab, I'll go grab it. I'll put it into the show notes so that you guys can go and check it out. And Sean, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your brilliance. And you're, I love the realness. I always love our conversations. I know so many people walked away with, Huh, moments today, like, oh, I know I get it. Keep doing the good work that you're doing. Appreciate you. Me too. Woo! Talk about dispelling the issues around perimenopause and menopause. I love that Dr. Sean Tesson shared not only his personal take on bioidentical hormones, but also how to heal our hormones naturally as we move through perimenopause, menopause. I mean, I love that he even touched upon a little bit around hysterectomies and what that should look like and how we should really be on hormones if we do decide the bioidentical hormone journey that we really do need to be on estrogen and progesterone because they're designed to balance each other out. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Dr. Shantasone talked about several different lab ranges during his interview. And I know that some of the hormone levels and numbers that he provided may have been a little bit confusing. So I wanted to quickly let you know again that you can grab that hormone lab testing guide to really understand your numbers and to know what it looks like in terms of the ranges when you do get your hormones tested. And you can grab the guide in the show notes for episode, this is episode 148 having a little moment there, but I remembered. Or you can go to drmarisa.com slash hormone testing. Now, Dr. Shanta Sohn also offered a really incredible resource that I personally love. I've gone through the quiz. His hormone quiz where you get to know which archetype you are when it comes to hormone imbalances, it's incredible and it's so spot on. So I will have the link for Dr. Shanta Sohn's hormone quiz as well. It's such a great way to just kind of get a better sense of what's going on with your body. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to the Essentially You podcast. In this upcoming episode, which I think it's such perfect and divine timing, I'm bringing on Elena Ray, who is going to be sharing her wisdom on why mindfulness and mindset are keys to healing miracles. I cannot tell you how blown away I was by this beautiful interview with Elena. She knows what is happening inside of our heart of heart, inside of our soul, and she really opens the door for what's possible for each and every one of us. So I have a feeling that you are going to love this episode just as much as I did. All right, until then, have a wonderful holiday season. I hope you're connecting with friends and family, and I cannot wait to see you on the next episode. 